Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Bro, you telling sound like we're in a, you sound like you're in a morgue, bro. Well, we're telling telling stories <laughs> from the LAFC community here. Derby loss by derby loss. I don't even want to. I'm just this not. Sucks, dude. Like I. It's even... just. It's just. <sighs> it's just not good. It's just not it's good. Not, it's not a good day. All right, folks. Well, we're gonna go ahead and plug through an episode. Bright, sunshiny rainbow at the end is we have the Smurf Quakes this weekend, and we would like to thank Alex Morgan joining us as the editor of Quakes Epicenter, who will be here as our opponent correspondent this week to get us previewed for what is hopefully an uplifting end to the week in our upcoming inter-California match versus the San Jose Earthquakes. I guess the one good thing about this show is we don't have to talk about the Galaxy game right away because there was one other game prior to our Open Cup defeat down in Carson to discuss, and that's a win. Hey, we took a dub, 2-0 versus Columbus in a game that did not want to be played. It just took forever. It was rain delay after rain delay after rain delay, and they kept moving the time back and moving the time back to the point where all the watch parties were over by the time the game actually started. Uh, I was blessed to be joining the folks at 110 Football for their live virtual watch party with Defenders and Connor and some of the cool people there at 110 and got to tour around their really cool studio and check it out and then just sit there and wait. We ended up watching uh, one of Connor's Spanish teams, uh, La Nuncia, in their fight for promotion and they ended up winning their match so we ended up getting to watch a whole 90 minutes of soccer and then LAFC finally finally came on and we got three minutes of it before the game ended so gentlemen I haven't even introduced you yet I've been so off the rails with the start of this depressing podcast but uh, tell me your thoughts on our match versus Columbus joining me of course as always Christopher Sines and Christian Aparicio boys what did you think of our match versus Columbus? Occasionally, Christian Aparicio, I've been absent a couple of games here, but it's been good to be with you today, unfortunately, after a most recent loss. But that win at Columbus, you're right. It didn't want to get played. I think it was super hot and humid. The people looked like they weren't even ready for rain gear in the stands. And I'm surprised that there was anyone in the stands after such a long rain delay. I'm happy the team ultimately got the W, played super deep. I think the intent was to conserve energy, had some of our firepower not played till the last half hour, really. But even then, knowing what we know now, I question whether or not they even should have played. But I do, you know, feel fortunate that we got the W with only a few options at goal. We were able to be efficient and effective and it put us at the top of the supporter shield standings again but it seems like it was at a cost so bittersweet week i would trade that win definitely for a better performance yesterday but we'll get back into that in a few here the only thing i can really say about the columbus match was that it was convenient for me i know probably 90 percent of the fan base it wasn't but it was extremely convenient for me because i was at a tournament for my son and his game was going to be played during the the actual match itself and so the rain delay allowed it so that on my drive home from Temecula I was able to watch it in the car I think the team came out a little flat that could have been due to the fact that they had gotten such a delayed start I think the overall game time was something like five hours and 23 minutes or something like that it was some crazy from the for kickoff until the end of the final whistle I think it was like I said like almost five and a half hours and I was definitely a little surprised as those of you that had listened to episode 120 I was expect to see some players rotated in a little bit more of that heavier rotation because I was expecting to have LAFC come out with fresh legs for a full-on assault against the Galaxy. And I think that I now looking back on hindsight, I think I would have preferred to have taken that L 
in Columbus so that we would have been able to put out the likes of a lineup that I felt would have been better appropriate for a derby match. I remember, I mean, we'll get into it when we talk about the U.S. Open Cup, but I, I mean, when I saw the roster for the game yesterday, I was standing next to Fern and I was like, all right, man, here's the roster. What do you think? And he, I mean, it, immediately, Masovsky and Ibiaga. And it's like, why are we playing those guys? Why are we playing those guys on a derby match? You know what? And I just, I think that it has to do with heavy legs and minutes, you know, and, and the rotation. And it's just unfortunate. Uh, it's unfortunate how the way everything played out, just the overall execution. And it just seems like it, the team is regressing when it comes to their ability to be dynamic and to score. You know, when you're looking at LAFC and you look at the way that we have become accustomed to seeing them perform, it's not a good feeling when the team is still tied at nil-nil at halftime. Like this team is too potent to be out a nil-nil draw against a team that's struggling like Columbus. But here we are again, a nil-nil draw against Columbus. You know, goal in the 67th minute from Carlos, goal in the 73rd minute from Jose Cifuentes. You know, so that's good that they made changes. But I don't know if I really want to be this team that has to continue to make changes in, at halftime in order for us to get victories. I would like to see us have a team that's able to come out from the very beginning and have these impactful plays that make a difference so that if you do make changes at halftime, you're making changes to be even more beneficial as opposed to making adjustments to get your first goal. Like I said, I was a little disappointed. I was disappointed with the roster that was announced for the starting 11 for Columbus. I was disappointed that the club didn't come out and look more potent. And again, that could have been because of the travel that could have been because it was a, uh, I believe it was a 1230 start here in LA, but it was a, whatever it would have been 230 or 330 starting in Columbus. Plus then the rain delay, then you have to rewarm up and things like that. I don't know. I don't know what all the specifics are, but the fact is, is that the product on the pitch was not what I would have liked to have seen. Yeah. I think you bring up some really good points there. I think a lot of us were surprised by the players that traveled and the players that played versus Columbus uh, in a match that really didn't mean a whole lot to the standings and didn't mean a whole lot to the fan base in expense for the roster. We were then forced to put out in this midweek game. I mean, even versus Columbus, we had fall auditioning at right back, something that did not go particularly well. And let's be honest, had I believe it was Darlington Nagby. I mean, had Nagby not made those two errors, that game could have ended nil-nil. I mean, both goals that LAFC got, the one by Vela and the one by Sipu, were both a direct result of poor passing either back to the keeper or coming out from their own end by Columbus. I mean, they basically gifted us those two goals to walk away to nothing, which is great. Look, you'll take three points on the road. That's fantastic. Anytime. But I, I have to agree with you, Chris, those three points in Columbus were gifted to us and came at the expense of the match that meant so much to us in the supporters and fan world for LAFC. And so let's, let's just get right into what I have called the worst loss in the history of LAFC. There are a lot of people who disagree with me and that's fine. I get it. But we lost a win or go home game to our rival when we are a significantly, significantly better team. And yes, you know, people can say, oh, well, you know, we lost a Conca Champions final. We lost a playoff game at home. And yeah, but I, I still feel like LAFC were in, was in those games. Like making it to a CCL final was a great moment. You know, I mean, the Atuesta red card, 
the lack of a foul called versus Vela, you know, and even then it took Poncho Janela running out of gas and not making a tackle for us to lose that game. I mean, we were in it for 70 minutes. We had a lead in that final. Those games weren't as bad to me as showing up completely flat. The team looked absolutely awful. Now I know we had a lot of rotation, a lot of injuries starting to pile up at this point. And the starting 11 that we put out there, Chris, like you mentioned, we got Ibiaga out there at right back. You know, it took 15, 20 minutes, and all of a sudden, Vela's got a quad injury. I, I don't know what it is about playing down in Carson, but uh, just seems like Vela seems to get injured quite a bit in these games. There are a lot of fans right now who are irate with Vela, who do not feel that he has the physical fitness or the mentality or, or the mental fitness in order to play through games like this and show up big in these games that matter to us. And, you know, we still don't know the extent of his injury with this club. Who knows if we'll ever know the true extent of any injury or how long Carlos Vela is going to be out for. But, you know, all of a sudden you've got Vela out uh, and now we've got Quadmo Mahala Opoku and Danny Mazowski out there. You know, no Raito yet. He didn't come on till the half. And, and that first half was hard to watch. Uh, and I'm sitting there with, you know, 400 plus of my 3252 brethren up there screaming our lungs out for a team that had three shots, not a single one on goal throughout the course of that entire first half. The passing was just non-existent. Galaxy did what Galaxy are going to do. They sat back and they countered against us quite effectively. And it was clear, especially after that gruesome, gruesome injury that took Palacios out right there at the half where Chicharito just completely undercut him and, and you know I mean a neck injury like that is always a gruesome thing to have happen and and you don't like seeing it happen on a on a bad foul and, and Chicharito gets a yellow for it which was probably you know I mean it's probably he deserved it I don't think it was a red card offense but you know the injury that happened and so now of course we start the second half and now we have no outside backs we have Acosta who's now our left back you know looking back at the Kim Moon Wan transfer the inability to bring someone in at outside back. You know, we were all clamoring for these MLS veteran people to help fill out the squad, but they were people that we were expecting to sub in in the 70th minute and, and be that person to replace that 20, 30-minute sub at the end of the game. I don't think any of us looking at this offseason expected these veteran MLS people to be the kind of people that we were relying on for thousands of minutes throughout the course of the season. And it's no surprise that, oh, we've got Escobar out. We've got Hollingshead sitting there on the sidelines with his knee in a brace that was still forced to come into the game. And it's just, it's frustrating that the roster construction has been managed to a point where we don't have the players to field a full squad for all these games. So we're forced to use these players out of their original position. And this whole idea of having these Swiss Army knife versatility players when it turns out that they can only play at 40, 50% capability in those positions, it's just not good. All three Galaxy goals get scored by taking advantage of one of our outside backs. All three of those plays started with runs down one of the sides or exposing a player that was completely out of position, albeit at left back or right back. You know, our defense was was atrocious. I mean, it took it took 50 minutes for us to get our first shot on goal, and it was blocked, kicked into a player a foot in front of us. Our next shot on goal didn't come to the 84th minute. No, no, no. We've had, we had one shot on goal that whole game, and that was the goal we made. We had one shot on target 
that whole oh, game, which is frame. the goal in the yes. 84th minute. Forgive me for using some some terminology here, but uh, yeah, the shot on goal, technically the one in the 50 something minute there that was immediately blocked by the player sliding right in front of it was technically a goalward shot. So it counts as a shot on goal, but it was not a shot on target. We had one, count them one, shot on target the whole game. And that was after it was three nil and Carson didn't even challenge that header. And we had two players, frankly, that could have put it in. It, it ends up being Hollingshead who subbed in when, you know, look, he, he was probably wasn't even fit enough to be in the game, but hats off to him. He, he had the fortitude to show up and at least get into it before I, I step back and I let you guys vent for a moment, because I have some other things I want to talk about with this game a little later here, but there was a stat that was pointed out to me by the homie Celso from Voices of the Black and Gold that uh, absolutely blew my mind. In this game, the combined midfield players of Sifu, Sanchez, and Acosta, do you know how many passes they completed to the combined Arango, Vela, and Danny Mazowski? Sifu, Sanchez, and Acosta combined, how many combined passes they had to Arongo, Vela, and Moose. I don't know that. Oh, dang it, Jonathan. Putting a one up for those that obviously can't see us, but I was going to say eight. Jeez. One. Wow. One completed pass from our three midfielders to our three strikers. Yeah. Now I know, look, Acosta ended up moving to outside back where he wasn't great at right back. He was really not great at left back. That's That's not what we signed him to do. He wasn't you know, great at have, midfield either in this game. There was, there was nobody who was great. We got outplayed 10 v 10 in the outfield. And the only reason I have no idea if we got outplayed in goals because their keeper didn't even get tested enough for us to know what he brought in goal that day because we'd ever challenged him. One header that he had, frankly, no business catching. And, and at that point in time, the game was over. It's it's 80-something minute. They're already up 3-0. The game was over. There was no reason for them to even challenge that header. There was no reason for the goalie to even dive. So I, I have no idea if Kripo got outplayed because – I mean, Kripo, I don't know if there was much he could have done on any of the goals that that we gave up. You know, maybe he could have got to one of those crosses coming across the box. But, I mean, we left him so exposed back there on all three of those shots that there really wasn't much that, that you can expect him to do about it. But just absolutely the worst performance I have ever seen from an LAFC team, top to bottom. There's not a single man of the match for me. There was not one person who had a decent game. And, and it's just far too often when we make that trip down the freeway that we show up and just absolutely lay an egg. But I'm going to step back. I'm going to let you guys have your two cents and, and think about this. And then I, I have some thoughts at the end I'd like to, to come back to. Let's keep it simple. I mean, there is, there is definitely no match of desire to win in comparison to Galaxy players. I think what I did not see Chirundolo do in this game is the in-game or halftime adjustments. I think what he did at Columbus to try to conserve energy could have worked well after we lost two additional starters with a depleted team already. I think the team could have had belief in themselves to defend and then find their opportunities. And if they had done that, in my opinion, they would have had opportunities to go over the top with Raito on counterattacks and giving him space in behind, basically reversing the tactics that the Galaxy did, right? The Galaxy were just mucking up the game, crowding the midfield. It was forcing our back line to go diagonally and long ball to Arango, Vela, uh, and Mazowski, and that wasn't successful. And then, you know, the injury and Palacio was getting injured, and it seemed like he was okay, but, you know, I think it was the right precaution. Unfortunately, we just didn't have the bench to be able to support that injury or two injuries early on. 
it was just frustrating. I think after those two, the rest of the team was dejected. I didn't see any leadership or even like as Vela's coming off, making gestures or, I don't know, making these kinds of faces like, we got this, you got this, I believe in you guys. It was just like, I'm coming off, guys, whatever, you know. Uh, yeah, this team, done. Had, this team had no fight until after the final whistle. And then all of a sudden they, they showed some fight. But, you know, when it was embarrassingly too late. Yeah, I know that Carlos Vela is a professional, but sometimes like it's almost like a mercenary professional. Not like he feels the jersey or like this is one of the only times I, I'll give him that criticism I didn't feel like he it didn't feel personal like in some of the derby games in the in the past at the bank or at uh Dignity Hill Sports Park so it was it was just uh, that was that's what the most frustrating part to me I know Jonathan and you're, you're talking about this but like I feel bad for everyone that was watching at home spending the time to do this but those especially that you know took their entire day and put their blood sweat and tears into making that trip with the hopes with the energy arriving early to motivate and i think that should be enough for the players who want to win the game beyond the fact that it hasn't been done and i just didn't see that attitude and that's that's the most disappointing part i think you bring up really good points jonathan in terms of yeah we've had other games that maybe were closer to a bigger trophy that we didn't win but in those games, I wouldn't say that the team gave up or didn't give us everything they had. It just wasn't enough. This game against the Galaxy in this cup game, it just felt like they gave up very early in the game. And I don't know why. We do have the talent. Maybe we didn't, we didn't have what we were used to, but it was enough to you know, at least pull out a draw, give them to PKs, muck it up yourselves, make the, the fans, the supporters that are there proud of the ones watching to, to feel like, hey, you know, we were there. Got them. Uh, anything could happen in any game, especially when you go to penalty kicks. It just didn't seem like they were even going for that. And then uh, one, one, one thing I think I'll say is that Mamadou Fall, he has a lot of talent, but he's still very inexperienced. Very inexperienced. I think he wants to be the hero and is too offensive-minded in these games. And he gets taken advantage of positionally and then concentration-wise. And I think Chirunlu has said that, but if you watch some of the goals and some of the crosses, I think he took the wrong angle. He wasn't aware who was around him within a few feet. And it we it cost us. It cost us. I know he's trying to recover for the for the right back and the left back at times, but it, it, he still needed to be more aware. And he's athletic enough to to be able to be there if he was more in concentration of his position. We said it in the preview for this game. If Mamadou Fall has a terrible defensive game, we're walking out with an L. Mamadou Fall had a terrible defensive game. Chris. Lay it on us, brother. You know, I, I have to agree with you, Jonathan, that I feel that this is the worst loss that LAFC has had in its five seasons. While I understand that we've lost bigger games, you know, losing to Seattle at home in the playoffs, that was heartbreaking, especially in 2019 after we had played so well. Losing to Tigres in the Conca Champions, like that was heartbreaking, right? Because we had gotten so far and we felt that we, I mean, it's just especially the way that we had taken out Leon, Cruz Azul, America. But this one hurt a lot more, I feel. And, and not to say either, you know, on those matches, specifically the playoff loss at home and the, uh, the loss to Tigres. You know, I was, at, I was at that playoff, the playoff loss, right? And I remember when we went down and I was actually in the North end with you, Jonathan, that was one of the few times, you know, that I, that I'm in the North end. And I remember when we got down that we just chanted louder and louder. And um, 
And we were there while the Seattle okay. players were getting their Western Conference championship celebration. The 3252 was there and we were just cheering louder and louder. And it, it was pretty much like, you can't stop us. And while there weren't any fans at the Tigres match, I know that there was the day after there was a lot of people that were like, man, it was so close. You know, like it was, it was just a disappointing loss, but this one hurt. This one hurt. At least it resonates with me because I had so much hope. Like I had so much hope that this was going to be it. I was just so confident, you know, going in the whole day, driving to the bank, hanging out with the people that were going to be on the bus, talking about it. I mean, I was just so because there's just no way there's no way that this is going to happen again. Look at who we have on our squad. Look at the missed opportunity, whatever it was four weeks ago, however long it was when we lost the first time this season at Dignity Health Sports Park. That was our first loss of the season. We missed that opportunity. Players underestimated, especially the ones that hadn't played in this derby. They underestimated the moment. Steve Terundolo missed his opportunity the very first time. Every, this is a redemption story that everyone was going to be able to capitalize on. And we didn't, you know, and it just makes me wonder because the players, when we're riding high and we're scoring and we're and we're killing it, these players they show this passion and this love and it makes you think they give you the impression that they are ride or die LAFC and that no matter what club they go to, they're always going to look back and they're always going to hold LAFC somewhere special. That's the impression that I get, especially when I look from the, from the players that interact with the 3252 and with the fans. And, but for, for this, this team to not show up and for the leaders, right. Even if you're new, like even for someone like Ilya Sanchez, who we have all been giving accolades to this whole season for someone like Ilya, who just, he just wasn't there. His presence wasn't known in that midfield like it is in previous matches. And he was directly responsible for that second goal being conceded. I mean, the breakaway starts because he flops in the box, doesn't get the call, can't get the ball out to somebody and it's turned over and boom, they streak down and score. I'm with you, brother. Carlos, Carlos coming off at 20 minutes and, and you know, the body language. The it is and it, and this we have no idea we have no idea if this is how Carlos feels but the perception the impression that is being left on the fans is that it didn't seem to bother him that much and it, it's it just is one of those like very there have been very few sporting events in my life where the following day it still sits with me the loss still sits with you and you just sit here and it resonates and it carries you through your day. And you're like, man, this day is, I just want this day to get over so that I can hopefully move on and not, not continue to dwell in in the misery that, that, that just happened in this event that I had put so much emotional investment into, but it's real, dude. I saw somebody last night that put on Twitter, you know, that, that, and it was like a a phrase to try and keep people uplifted, but it, it, and I don't remember exactly what it said, but it was something to the effect of that players, coaches, front office, they're going to come and go. The heartbeat of this club is the fan, is the fan base and the 3252. And, you know, as long as we still remember that we are this culture and that we are this club and that we are the ones that are going to create this longevity, it's almost like you're believing in yourself and you are, you know, don't lose sight of what it is that we're trying to do here. You know, these these matches 
this isn't going to be the last time that we lose to the Galaxy, right? This isn't going to be the last time. It's going to happen again, right? At some point, it's going to happen again. And and we could go on a hot run where we don't lose for a decade, but it's going to happen again. We are going to lose at some point again, but we need to keep things into perspective and, and remember that we're here for each other, that we're here for this fan base. We're here to leave this legacy for the next generation and that we are building something that is, is not going to be able to be replicated in this city ever again. And that, that is the only thing that is lightening the grief that I feel from this loss is that, you know what, the most important thing is that this fan base doesn't lose faith and that we don't give up on these players and that we don't give up on this club because that's what we're here for. We're here to just continue to support and we're here to just continue to believe and have that hope. Right. And the hope is going to, is going to be what kills you. Right. That's what they say across the whole world. Right. The hope is what kills you, but that's why we keep coming back. And that's why we're fans. And that's why we love this game. It's just a really sad day. And and we're going to have to, but you got a day, right? You've had one day to sulk in your sorrows. But at this point, we've got another game on Saturday. You pretty much got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, wipe away the blood and just get ready for Saturday. Because you know what? And in my mind, we can, we can cut this season into thirds, right? The first third of the season, it's over. The U.S. Open Cup, it's a it's a memory. It's a, it it's no longer in it's a rear view memory. It's no longer in our sights. It's no longer a concern of ours. Twenty twenty two is not our season for the U.S. Open Cup, but we'll get back there. But now it's on to the middle third of this season. Okay, we're gonna have to, especially after the international break. It is the middle third of the season. We need to shift gears and refocus ourselves. And now our goal is now the MLS Cup. Right, which always was a goal, but our immediate goal was going to be the U.S. Open Cup because that was the the imminent tournament that was that we could have potentially been eliminated from. We need to refocus ourselves, and we need to we need to be able to to look ourselves in the mirror and say, okay, what what are we going to do about this? Let's not let this define us. We have now played the Galaxy fifteen times. We have three wins, two draws, and ten losses. Bob Bradley was famously quoted as saying, football without ideas means nothing. I saw no ideas from this team yesterday. There was a moment where Blessing had the ball at the top of the box, and I love you, Latif, my favorite player on this team. But he's not going to take that shot. We all know Latif just doesn't have the scoring boots right now for whatever reason. And he looks around, and there's not a player within five yards of him. And he just plays a through ball, rolls it straight to their keeper, turns over possession, and we head back into defense. And that was the moment that I knew. I knew this team had no chance of a comeback in this game. Because we had the ball, top of the box, wide open player, and he just rolled it right to the other team's keeper, right to Carson's keeper. And there was no one that was anywhere near that ball. No one was going to get on it. And it was just, We had nothing. We had no ideas whatsoever. And here we have LAFC fans paying over $60 a ticket. You know, parking at the bank for all the people that came down in the buses for the 3252 was still 15 bucks. So every single person that parked and got on those buses to head down handed 15 bucks to Bank of California Stadium 
That's a lot of money that our supporters spent. 60 bucks a ticket. When, get this, you know how much Carson fans paid for their ticket? Nothing. Their team gave them tickets for free. Still, it was probably 50-50 as far as fans in that match. Even giving away free tickets for a crosstown rival derby game, winner go home cup run. They couldn't sell out their own home stadium. That would never happen at the bank. A place would have been rocking black and gold top to bottom if it was at our house. But here it is, five years, zero losses in Carson. Our fans shelling out 60 bucks to go down there when they're getting tickets for free. All this money we have spent in eight trips down to Carson now on tickets, gas, buses, parking, spending money at those concessions, cheering our lungs out for 100 minutes for nothing, for nothing, for a team that has no ideas. And I know, look, a lot of people from the outside looking in at the LAFC world are thinking, look, you guys are sitting number one in Supporter Shield standings right now. And that's great. We had a great first third of this season. But you're right, Chris, it's over. The first third's done. We don't have a right back. We might not have a left back. We have a midfield that can't seem to connect a ball to a forward. We have forwards and DPs that look disengaged, that occasionally show up big and have great moments, but never show up big and have those great moments when we need it. And it's it's okay right now to be an LAFC fan and say this isn't good enough. We are a top one or two market for sports in this country. We have two DPs in the 10th highest payroll for ownership that swears they're fully invested in growing this team and putting the best product out on the pitch. And this is the best product we can get in a derby game, in a cup game, in a win or go home game versus our dreaded rival versus a team that everyone in the entire MLS landscape knows this matters more to us than any other game. And this is the kind of performance we get. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. And everyone in the black and gold world right now has every right to be irate because a team that can't even give away tickets to their stadium went out there and rolled us with the likes of Cabral Edwards. Come on. These are not the kind of players that should be making us look like the USL squad. And that's what this looked like. This looked like an MLS team versus a USL team out there today. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. And every bit of smack that Carson fans are talking online and the 50 bucks I had to pay out to my neighbor and lost gambling fees from this game, they deserve it. They, they can have a big old parade right through Stinky Carson. They've earned it because we didn't show up again eight straight times. Let me tell you something. I was just looking this up after you brought it up. LAFC has not won a derby since October 25th of 2020. LAFC, prior to that, had beaten the Galaxy in the MLS's back tournament. And then prior to that was the MLS Cup playoffs. That October 25th win, there's only seven players on the roster that was on the roster in 2020. On our current roster, there was only seven players that have seen a victory. There was a red card in that game. The Galaxy got a red card the 25th minute, and they played a man down. And LAFC had... A goal from Masovsky in the second half and a goal from Carlos Vela at the death. The only true two games that I feel like we really just took it to him was Zlatan's last game in the MLS playoffs, which was a which was a dogfight. And when we obliterated him in the MLS's back tournament. You know, this is like you look at this, and 
and I mean, there's players. There's players that played yesterday. Cropo, Fall, Ibiaga, Ilie, Acosta, Chicho Arango have never seen a victory in this derby. And it makes you wonder, like, not every team that these players have played for before, they may not have had a rivalry to this extent, right? I can't sit here and tell you every single team that every one of these players has ever played for, but some clubs are just not fortunate to have these hated rivalry matches. And it, it just makes me wonder, are there are some of these players just not mentally prepared for the dogfight that is? And not because they can't be, it's just that they haven't been exposed to it. And you haven't had to dig down deep and find the grit in places that you don't normally have to go to. I just, I don't know. Seeing Carlos come off, it just makes me, it makes me lose faith in his ability. And when you lose a DP, and again, we only have our two DPs. And one of them was sitting on the bench because he's coming back from injury, which he got injured the last time we played the Galaxy. So then we're playing... A whole match with no DPs. And then another player who is one of our more standout players this season, he gets injured. And it, it just, it changes the dynamic. And we were so handcuffed. But even the little fundamental things, like you just talked about, the passing, the passing from the midfield transition to the forwards, it just wasn't there. We weren't owning the midfield. And it's a discouraging thing to see because in the big games that matter, this team more often than not, doesn't come through. And that's a culture thing. That's an internal club culture thing. And it doesn't seem like a coaching change is what needs to happen in order to fix it because this this team continued to not follow through on what needed to be done when Bob Bradley was here. So do you, I mean, do you sit here and put some of the onus on, on Shirondolo? Maybe, I don't know, but I think a lot of it has to be put on these players. I think these players have to understand that what they're fighting for, what it means to us, what it represents. And, and it's not just another game. Galaxy play up for these games. You could tell it matters to them. They've got fight. They've got hustle. They've got drive. They've got determination. And what's worse What's worse is they like to pretend that it doesn't matter to them. It does. I know. But when they win, their fan base is like, this means more to the LAFC fans than it does to us. But that's fine. We'll just continue to take victories from them left and right. It's going to matter to their fans if they're hosting a cup at the end of this season. Because the rest of the teams that are in this cup, I mean, it's very beatable. Galaxy have a clear path to a cup that we paved for them. Christian, do you got you want to sound in on this? With... San Jose Earthquakes being out, like it's 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 kind of laid on a platter for them, to be honest with you. Um their fan base should be disappointed and continue to half attend important games for them. I will be very disappointed that if the Galaxy end up getting a CCL spot and we weren't able to do that this year because we had a golden opportunity to be able to win at their place and then make a run and then participate in the type of competition that this club deserves because year after year, I feel like as part of the MLS, except for, I guess, 2021, um, it's kind of been the gold standard. There's an expectation that we make the playoffs and we make a run. The supporters, top notch, and the team at the very minimum was giving it all and was trying to score and had fight. So that's that's 
It's the only thing that I think I'll say and repeat. There's a lot of work to be done. There's two thirds of a season left. Can this be corrected? Could this be a dip, a valley in the season? Yeah, but the cup, the cup run is over. So now we all we can do is focus on either getting the supporter shield for the CCL spot, but I'd rather get the MLS cup. We've gotten the supporter shield. And if we get the, the supporter shield on the way, that's great. But ultimately it's going to be a matter of making sure we end up being healthy at the right time, getting reinforcements in terms of the DP moving forward. And then just being able to have fight and not give up on a game like this, any game, especially against the galaxy, but it's just, it can't be where it feels like the heads are down or the hands are thrown up because uh, it doesn't feel like the team or I don't know, it comes like, it's almost like trust. You don't trust the next person to be able to perform or to get it done. So it's, it became a domino effect and it was too easy. And that's, that's not what we expect. LAFC still does not have a sports psychologist on their staff or a team that desperately needs a mental adjustment especially going into games like this i hope that's something that we see added to this team but it's got to be hard to be a player and say you know look our, our star signing midfielder is now playing left back our fifth string center back is now playing right back you know one of our dps is in this game and, and he's coming back from injury this, this is not the squad that is going to win MLS Cup this year. There's got to be changes and additions, significant ones, to this roster if we're going to see this team make a run and even, frankly, keep our, our place within the Supporters' Shield standings. That was built on a healthy squad with no healthy outside backs, one DP coming back from injury, Vela, who knows what quad tightness means or exactly how long that's going to have him out for. But I guarantee you it's it's probably going to go all the way up until the break in June. I, I don't see Vela playing between now and the break. It's, it's a frustrating place to be in. But speaking of additions, we do have Cellini coming in. It was announced during the game versus Carson, interesting timing, uh, that it is a done deal, a TAM deal. He will be coming in on TAM money. Uh, so that means, you know, it's not a DP slot. He's going to be making less than 1.7 or, or it's going to be bought down using allocation money in order to get it under that threshold. And as much as everyone is excited about veteran leadership and a hard-nosed player coming in and a person with, you know, trophies in his locker and, and all this stuff, I'm not so convinced Cellini isn't more of the same for LAFC. The problem with Escobar, he was constantly hurt. Shows up to LAFC, gets hurt. Hollingshead, been hurt this year. Cellini last year missed 17 games for six different injuries. Now, one of those was the flu, so okay, whatever. But still five different physical injuries he had last year that kept him out for 16 of those 17 games were due to injury. I'm not sure this is the solution we need in minutes. He might be a great addition to this team as a locker room person, as a person to help develop fall, as a person to help partner with Segura and getting some of these other players to perform, and a person who might help the likes of Adonil Henry and Ibiaga, Jesus David Morillo, try and get a little bit better. But I, I'm not convinced that this is the saving grace that other people think it is. There are still significant holes in this roster. We have not replaced Kim Moon Wan. And that one sale, I mean, gosh, this would have been a completely different cup run if we had Moon 
out there playing right back yesterday. It's a completely different game. I'm not but saying the results would have been different, but let's also look at this, right? Like everybody is sitting here and saying, Oh, it would have been nice to have Kim Moon Hwan. You know, why why did the FO sell it? Kim Moon Hwan was not performing that well at the time when we moved on from him. Yeah, but he would be better than Ibiaga right back. Sure, but so would a lot of players. I mean, it, it's it's very convenient to just be like, I mean, the, the fan base not was not as behind Kim Moon Hwan as as he like I remember when Kim Moon Hwan first got here and we were like at the Austin trip, like his name was fire. And by the end of the season and at the beginning of this season, it 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 just wasn't the same dynamic player that he was when he first got here. And I don't know if it has anything to do with the system or I think it does. Person- I think it does, but I, I, I agree with you. I think we got to move on. Uh, Kalini, I agree with you. Maybe it's not what we need, but anyone that's not injured right now, and if he comes healthy, we'll need that at the very minimum for a few games until the rest of the team gets healthy, right? And with the break, it's going to be helpful for him to either get up to speed or get into form because he's probably going to be on holiday for at least a week from the Italian league and his retirement from uh, Serie A and Calcio out there. But don't think it's necessarily terrible for some of the reasons you mentioned, through locker room, tactical awareness, the reading of angles, reading of plays, understanding of body language as a attacker is approaching you. And I think all those things are going to be invaluable for our back line. But I do think he's going to get he's going to get a chance to play because of all the injuries for the same reasons that you mentioned. I do wish and I agree with you here that we would have gotten a, a right back. Right. And there's still an opportunity to do that. So I, I wouldn't put it past that this is being looked at. If they can get someone young, I still go back. I know we had Will Koontz and we've we've made fun of it. But one of the worst contracts we've had for the price tag is Janela. Pancho is is he didn't show me anything again in this game. And we need we I feel like we could have gone like four Latifs and we basically are paying him at the same cost of four Latifs and getting very little value for that. So I, I, I think that there's work to be done in the terms of bringing reinforcements. Kilini is a answer, is a name. It'll be a splash internationally. Um, so I, I understand the worth in terms of the weight he carries around the world, but it's not going to be the type of piece we need to get an MLS Cup. So I think it's, it's, it's achieving a different goal. And it'll be a temporary band-aid for what we need immediately once we get through this international break and hopefully these injuries. The solution to LAFC's problem is not more old players, right? One thing this club has hung its hat on since day one is that we don't want to be that MLS squad that goes out there and brings in these players that are too old to play in Europe anymore. And yet that's exactly what we're doing in this case. So it's kind of a departure from our entire mentality as a whole. And I think one of the biggest problems with this team is that we have this combination of aged players and young players and and not enough players at their peak, you know, for a team that has aspirations of winning a cup of going on in the CCL, you can't just have veterans and young players. We're, We're once again, missing that key piece of players in their prime. It's just the roster construction right now. It's not deep enough. And, and the depth pieces that we added this off season, were not durable enough 
to make it through. And look, I, I really don't have much else to say on, on this game. I, I mean, I think we've kind of beat this horse at this point. Yes, we should have replaced Moon when we sold him. We thought we could make it through till the summer window, and, and hopefully we still do. But, you know, with eight games in four weeks, that was a lot of minutes. And it broke this team. It broke our fitness. And we didn't bring up enough players from Las Vegas to help us get through this. I think we prioritize games like Columbus that should not have been a priority. And frankly, now we're in a situation where, yes, we're still leading in the supporter shield, but we have no outside backs. We have holes across the front, holes in the midfield, massive holes across the defense. Like, keepers, the only situation I'm confident in right now, and that's not a good place to be in a third of the way through the season. But we have a game coming up versus San Jose, a team that we have handled most recently in, in the majority of our meetings. We hold a good record versus them. They've hit a particularly good run of form late, but they've been hit by the injury bug as well, too. But folks, we're going to go ahead and step aside and we will be right back with this week's opponent correspondent to help us get ready for this game versus San Jose. Yo, this is Shavo from System of a Down, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Joining us now is our opponent correspondent for the San Jose Earthquakes. Folks, we got soccer royalty in the house. We are talking about a two-time World Cup winner, a gold medalist, a bronze medalist, a two-time CONCACAF World Champion, a U-20 Women's World Cup Champion. Guys, it's it's Alex Morgan on the pod. Nope. No, no. No, no. Yo, no, it's Alex different. Morgan. It sits right there. It's Alex different. Morgan. Different Alex Morgan different person ladies and gentlemen this is actually alex morgan who has kindly joined us that is from the he is the editor of the quakes epicenter which uh previously on our previous uh shows our opponent correspondent has been jamin moore from the quakes epicenter uh and he and alex is also a co-host for the aftershock podcast representing the san jose earthquakes thank you very much alex morgan for coming in and uh representing san jose this weekend thank you so much uh I, I have the, the World Cup uh, winner's medal and in all those trophies there somewhere, but I seem to have lost them. So I'm sorry I can't uh, bring them out and show them off to you guys. But uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to join you. I look forward to talking about uh, this weekend's game. It, it should be a fun one. I was going to say, I'm sure that that's probably not an uncommon thing for people to say or when they see your name associated when it comes to any kind of soccer, anything, they're like, they have to do a double take, I'm sure, from time to time. Well, they, 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 they're usually pre, pretty disappointed when they when they see me and they're expecting to, to meet the, the real Alex Morgan. <laughs> oh, well, you are a real Alex Morgan to us, sir. Jokes aside, thank you for uh, taking some time away from training with uh, San Diego to come and join us today. We appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, no, sorry. Still wrong, Alex Morgan. No, of course, folks, this Alex Morgan uh, is joining us from Quake's Epicenter and co-host of the Aftershock. Why don't you tell us, our fans that might not be curious with those two outlets, a little bit about that platform. Go ahead, plug yourself. Amigo. Of course, we have a, a great uh, team, a bunch of super stellar analysts and reporters uh, on our team at, at Quake's Epicenter. Uh, we have guys like Jamin Moore, who's been on this show before. Uh, he's our editor in chief. We have guys like Robert Jonas, who's been uh, in the game covering the Quakes longer than anybody since the team came back from uh, sort of the, the Houston in 2008. Uh, he's been covering the team. We have guys like Asher Cohn, Colin Etnire. Uh, so we have a, we have a super amazing team. I feel very lucky uh, to be a part of it. This is my eighth season 
covering the San Jose earthquakes, which makes me something of a, a veteran in, in the San Jose press box. Uh, and I, I've seen this team through a lot of uh, low moments, but uh, uh, this season uh, recently they've been uh, uh, managed to string together some, some victories. So we've had a lot of exciting uh, content coming out uh, at Quakes Epicenter. Uh, we have this show called The, the Aftershock uh, show. We, we record live post-game uh, after every single uh, San Jose Earthquakes game. We stream the post-match press conferences uh, and we have a, a panel of uh, our, our team uh, breaking everything down. We have exclusive interviews. Uh, we have in-depth articles on our website and uh, we have a super awesome uh, community of supporters on our, our Patreon uh, who, who help uh, help make everything happen, help give us the resources to be, to be able to provide all the, the content that we do to start traveling us uh, out to, to away games and, and, and getting more extensive coverage of this team. We have an awesome Slack channel with all of our patrons and, and they're, they're the real uh, backbone behind everything we do. So feel very lucky to be a part of the, the Quakes Epicenter team and a, a wonderful Quakes community. So why don't you catch us up a little bit on yourself? How did you fall in love with the beautiful game? When did you become a fan of the San Jose Earthquakes? And, and when exactly did that lead to you covering the team? Yeah, so I've been a, a soccer fan my whole life. And in fact, I started... Uh, sort of my, my journey into to covering soccer, talking about uh, European soccer. I started blogging about uh, European soccer, specifically the Premier League and, and La Liga uh, back in, in 2012, 2013. I, I still get some nostalgia about uh, those days of a sort of a, of a golden era of blogging in, in the early days of kind of tw the Twitter community uh, talking about uh, European soccer. So that's, that's how I started uh, in, in sort of the soccer, soccer journalism, soccer blogging world. And then uh, in 2015, uh, the Quakes built uh, their new stadium, what was then Avaya Stadium and, and now PayPal Park. And, and that was when I jumped into to Major League Soccer, started really following Major League Soccer, started covering the, the San Jose earthquakes. And uh, look, there's, there's not a ton of major media outlets covering the San Jose earthquakes. Maybe once or twice a year, we get a, a guy from the San Jose Mercury News, San, San Francisco Chronicle out to cover the team. Uh, and so uh, a lot of the coverage comes from, you know, independent uh, websites, independent outlets like Quakes Epicenter. Uh, and so that gave me a really strong opportunity to be able to jump full in uh, and dive into to my coverage uh, of the quakes and uh, yeah, I've been through a lot of a lot of rough patches uh, with the team over the the last eight years. But uh, it's been it's been a super fun journey. I, I feel very grateful for the the community that we have for for the quakes uh, media guys, especially Jake Pisani, uh, for being able to to give us a, a lot of super cool uh, you know opportunities to cover this team and a lot of. Uh, uh, inside insight and access to the locker room. Uh, and, and that's what's enabled us to do uh, the post-game shows that we do uh, and and uh, to create this super fun team at uh, Quake's Epicenter. Let me talk about some of the roster moves and incoming players. I know that you said, you know, there's been ups and downs over the last eight years, but some incoming players from Cape Verde international midfielder, Hamiro Montero from Philadelphia, designated player. You also have from Slovakia, an international also midfielder. John Gregus from Minnesota. So a couple interleague transfers over. And then we can't forget about Jeremy Ebobisi. Sorry, a little trouble with that name. But, you know, I know that the U.S. men's national team, he's been on their radar. Uh, hasn't been called in yet, but not a inexpensive transfer of $1.167 million on TAM. Uh, he was doing well at Portland, fighting for starting minutes and well, wasn't able to break in. But I think for the earthquakes, he's been uh, quite the asset. And I think something that you all needed offensively 
to be able to perform better, especially this season since Almeida has uh, departed. Absolutely. It's funny that you introduced Jameer Montero as a Cape Verde international. And that's not usually how we, we introduce him in San Jose. The way that, that we usually talk about these guys is that they're former DPs in, in Major League Soccer. And uh, the Quakes were clearing a, a lot of uh, sort of contracts off the books at the end of last season. It was really a transition year for the club. Uh, they were able to get a, a lot of guys like Andy Rios, Carlos Fierro, uh, who'd been with the team for a long time, but were no longer really contributing. They were able to get those guys off the books and that cleared up a lot of cap space, a lot of roster space uh, to be able to bring in some some new, new guys and really build the core of this team. And uh, they had a new general manager to do that in charge of that process with, with Chris Leach. Uh, taking over. Uh, and his strategy was really for these interleague transfers uh, and, and trades. Uh, and that's why you see guys like Shamir Montero, who was a really beloved player in, in, in Philadelphia and, and one of their most creative attacking players, got really strong reviews from Philadelphia, uh, but just wasn't a part of what no, no longer fit into their future plans. Uh, so he made the, the move to San Jose. You got Guys like Jan Gregus, who was also a former DP at Minnesota uh, in a similar situation. Francisco Calvo coming from Minnesota as well. Jeremy Abobasi uh, from the Portland Timbers. All these guys you mentioned are, are, are guys that uh, were considered to be really good pickups. And, and uh, because of uh, Chris Beach's sort of uh, connections and the network that he has, he was able to, to bring in uh, a lot of these domestic uh, players from within Major League Soccer. And that was a radical departure from the, the strategy under Matias Almeida, which was mostly to bring in guys that Matias Almeida knew. That's how you get guys like Daniel Vega, Shofis, Carlos Fierro, Andy Rios. Those were all former Matias Almeida players uh, who they brought in. But uh, this is a completely different strategy. I think a lot of fans are super excited about it. Uh, and it's it's been pretty successful thus far. You look at uh, uh, Jeremy Abobasi, who's quietly been one of the top scorers in Major League Soccer so far this season, despite the fact that San Jose had a really slow start to the year, they're really able, they've been able in the last uh, five, six weeks since Matias Almeida left uh, to get this offense going. New head coach Alex Cavello uh, has really, uh, you know, unlocked this offense. So guys like uh, Jeremy Bobasi have been playing really well. Jamiro Montero has now looked really, really good in his last couple games. Uh, Francisco Calvo, uh, it has assumed the captains are banned in some of these games, and he's been a leader uh, in the back line. Uh, Jan Gregush is, is the only guy who's who's really been uh, struggling to to get involved in in San Jose. Uh, he, he's been on the bench in their last few games uh, because uh, Alex Cavallo has figured out his, his starting midfield trio with uh, Eric Rometty, Jackson Ewell, and, and Jamiro Montero. So, so Jan Gregus has kind of been on the outs. Uh, he, he started in their uh, Open Cup game against the Sacramento Republic uh, on Wednesday night, last night, uh, and he looked very poor. Uh, but given all of the the sort of injuries and and absences that the Quakes are going to be dealing with uh, this weekend against LAFC. He's a guy who you could see out there. So it's, it's a bit of a weird time uh, that you've caught the Quakes in. They, they've been on a good run of form recently, uh, but with all these injuries, uh, it's, it's unsure, you know, what kind of team they're going to be able to, to put together against LAFC this weekend. And I'm sure that uh, you guys can empathize with that as well. You've mentioned some departures, but not, no greater departure than U.S. men's national team legend San Jose a earthquake legend Chris Wondolowski 374 appearances uh, you know top scorer for the MLS and he became a little bit of a super sub in Tasman towards the end of this the, the last season and I think he saved a lot of games for Matias Almeida how's that feeling been not having him contribute in this kind of revamped team for another season 
I, I think the reason that I forgot to mention him is because that it still feels like he's he's a part of this club and and uh, his spirit still uh, imbues this this team. And uh, I, I think the Quakes really missed him for the first you know four or five weeks of the season. They missed his leadership. And frankly, they just missed his goal scoring ability. No matter how old he got, he was still able to find the back of the net. He was still still able to, to cause chaos and cause danger. Uh, but uh, recently, when Matias Almeida was fired, uh, Chris Rondolowski joined uh, the coaching staff. So now he's an assistant coach under Alex Cavello. So he's still there on the touchline. And, and I think his presence uh, has been really, really important for this team, just the, the leadership and kind of the the, the calming presence that he uh, brings to this team. And and, and honestly, the, the expertise that he brings, I think he's one of the reasons that uh, Cade Cowell has been able to improve his finishing. Cade Cowell is a really... A uh, strong young player, a talented young player for the Quakes. Chris Wondolowski has worked a lot with him, uh, and I think he's he's pro- probably a part of the reason that this this offense has been able to get going, and they've finally been able to start scoring from from open play and looking more dangerous. You mentioned current run of form; it's been improved, but still eleventh place. So three wins, five losses, five draws on fourteen points. But since I made a left, that run of form is three wins, one loss, two draws. So very respectable. Talk a little bit about that, and then. The disappointment uh, of last night's win, what, apart from the midfield not being impressive with John Gregush, what what are some takeaways from the match? Yeah, so so last last night was a, a really unexpected defeat for San Jose because since Matias Almeida was fired and, and Alex Cavello took over, this team looked radically different. Uh, and Matias Almeida, uh, you know, was playing his, his typical man marking style uh, and. Uh, was just making the game really overly complicated. It, it felt like it was really, really hard for the Quakes to move the ball up the field uh, and to get the ball in the back of the net. They scored like two goals from, from open play in their first five, six games of the season under Matias Almeida. The only way they were putting the ball in the back of the net uh, was, was through dangerous set pieces. And, and so Alex Cavello came in and really felt like he simplified things and, and uh, he played players in their natural positions under Matias Almeida you guys you had guys like Jackson Ewell playing at center back and you got had guys playing in, in, in really odd positions all over the field uh, and he was trying to fit all of San Jose's best players into this starting lineup he was trying to fit Montero, Gregus, Jackson Ewell, Eric Ormetti, Judson all into the lineup at the same time uh, but that wasn't working and what Alex Cavello did was he came in uh, and he put these players in their natural positions. Uh, Jackson Ewell back in the midfield, he scored a couple goals uh, in, in San Jose's last couple of games because of that attacking threat that he provides. So I think that that was the, 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 the moment that San Jose's season really changed. And I think a lot of fans are super optimistic about the direction that this club is taking right now. Uh, and, and that's what made the loss against Sacramento so surprising because uh, the Quakes uh, bust hundreds of fans up to Sacramento for the game. Uh, it felt like they were taking this game seriously, but their preparation really felt lacking. Uh, they, they've been dealing with a lot of games uh, in the last, uh, uh, you know, two, three weeks. They've, they've had back-to-back games, midweek games, uh, and uh, they've been talking about load management a lot. And they, they didn't really budget uh, enough uh, resources, enough energy, enough players for this game against the, the Sacramento Republic. They, they didn't uh, manage all, all the sort of fitness 
levels of the players enough to, to be able to put out a, a super strong lineup. So they ended up playing with a bunch of uh, second string guys. Uh, and I think they underestimated uh, the, the Sacramento Republic, who looked really strong uh, and, and took a 2 0 lead and, and, and never looked back. So, so that was a, a really bitterly disappointing result, I think, for, for the Quakes. I think you guys were also on the end of uh, a, a disappointing uh, Open Cup loss. So, again, uh, I, I, I think you can empathize. Uh, with that one. Uh, and, and that leaves San Jose in a bit of an awkward position ahead of this weekend's game. You have a lot of, of injuries. Uh, their whole back line is basically out. You have uh, guys like Nathan, uh, who's out with uh, in health and safety protocols. You have Francisco Calvo, who's out on international duty. Both outside backs, Marcos Lopez and Paul Marie, both starting outside backs are currently injured. Uh, so the good thing is they brought in all these players over the offseason. So they have depth. They have Tanner Beeson, who can step into the back line. They have Oscar Agron, who is one of their top draft picks. Uh, they have these players who can step in. But now it feels like they've lost a little bit of the momentum. Those guys are going to be tired because of how much they've played over the last few weeks. Uh, and so I, I'm really not sure what to expect from, from this San Jose team and mentally and, and tactically heading into this, this weekend's game against LAFC. And look, the, their, their biggest problem this season has been their defense. So, so that's where I focus. They've shifted. They've, they've shipped more goals than any other team in Major League Soccer this year. Uh, even in the games they've won, they've, they've shipped two, three goals. They've had multiple 3-3 draws, 4-3 victories. Uh, and so uh, their, their offense has been, been able to get going, but uh, it's that defense that I'm worried about, especially against a strong team like LAFC. Even without guys like you know Carlos, Carlos Vela in there, you guys still have more than enough talent to be able to put a few goals past this Quakes team. You've uh, mentioned uh, some up-and-coming players, uh, especially like Cade Cowell. And LAFC obviously are familiar with some of the more marquee players like Shofis and Jeremy Abobasi, uh, Jackson Ewell. Can you touch on a few of the lesser-known maybe role players that an LAFC fan might be wanting to be aware of in this match coming up this weekend? Yes, yeah, so, so two of San Jose's most dangerous guys going forward this season have been Jameer Montero and, and Christian Espinosa. Uh, Christian Espinosa has been one of San Jose's top scorers and, and, and most productive offensive players for, for a couple of years now. And yet he still kind of remains under the radar, uh, sort of on the, the national uh, level, the national discourse. Uh, even though he's he's been super productive, the pace that he offers on that right wing is super dangerous. And he's a guy who kind of struggled last season under Matias Almeida. He wasn't as successful as he had been in, in 2019 and 2020. But uh, having Jamiro Montero in there has really unlocked a lot of his uh, his dangerous abilities because Jamiro Montero has been uh, distributing the ball so well to him on that right wing. He's been playing those balls over the top that make Christian Espinosa dangerous on the right wing. So uh, unsure about uh, Montero's availability given uh, his, his Cape Verde call up this week. Uh, but Christian Espinosa uh, and, and Jameer Montero are definitely two of San Jose's most dangerous players that I don't think really get talked about enough. In the back line, you also have Tanner Beeson, uh, who was one of San Jose's top draft picks from Stanford uh, a few years ago. Uh, and he's really the future of the club at center back. Uh, and, and he's a, a strong, uh, strong asset there in the back. So he he's a guy who I think is going to be really important against LAFC and in, in, in really solidifying that back line. JT Marcinkowski in goal is another young player uh, who has played for the USU 23 national team, uh, who I think is one of the best shot stoppers in major league soccer. And I think without JT Marcinkowski, this team would have shipped a lot more goals than they, they have. And, and that's saying something. So I think JT Marcinkowski in goal uh, is another really strong player that, uh, that, that doesn't get talked about enough uh, in the sort of national circles. 
Well, we appreciate you getting us all caught up on the squad and the current run of form. So now it's time to put those predictions out on the line, my friend. We have two wounded animals going at each other. Uh, what's left of two rosters going to be scrapping it out this weekend at the bank? So who do you think is going to walk away with points? And what is your prediction for this weekend? I think San Jose is, is going to make it difficult uh, for you guys. I think that uh, Alex Cavello has... Uh, the thing that he's added to this team as the head coach is, is tactical flexibility. He knows when to sit deep. He knows when to play a higher line of pressure and to, to press more. Uh, and he's shown that sort of uh, flexibility over the last few games and the ability to, to pull out results in, in tough game situations. So I'm actually anticipating a, a draw in this one. San Jose have drawn a lot this season. They've drawn five times this season, uh, a couple of high scoring draws, three, three, two, two. I think this could be a, a two, two draw this weekend uh, just given the way that both of these teams have been decimated I think it it could be kind of a slugfest in there is what I'm anticipating so that being said with the current run of form the change in gaffership what are your thoughts on the direction of this team throughout the course of this season is this a playoff bound team that you have lofty expectations of in a postseason or, or where do you really feel is going to come to this season's end where the team's going to be I don't think San Jose have ever been a playoff team that I have lofty expectations for uh, in the postseason. I think that's a privilege that you guys have down in LA that you should not take for granted. But uh, I think that I'm optimistic about the, the the direction that this team is taking this season uh, with the, the managerial change and, and Alex Cavello as head coach and the direction that this, this club and this organization are taking under Chris Leach uh, and, and his uh, general manager uh, tenure. Uh, I, I think that this is a team that this season can compete. They've shown that they can compete. I think that was really uh, a, a lot of fans were were skeptical of that uh, after the first five games under Matias Almeida. There was a lot of doubt about whether this roster was strong enough to, to make a, a run at the playoffs. But I think this roster, they've shown in the last few months that they're absolutely capable of, of, of warming their way into the playoffs. They're not too far off at this stage. So I think that this team will make a shot at that, that seventh seed uh, for the playoffs. I think uh, they're going to be in the mix between, between about seventh and ninth is, is where, I'd, uh, where I'd place them at the end of this season. But look, it's still May. Uh, and there's there's lots of room for for change. I know that they're looking to bring in some new players over the summer. I think if they bring in another center back, uh, that could be huge for this team and in their defensive solidity. They're going to be, uh, uh, you know, most likely releasing Shofis uh, in in June at the end of June because his loan with with Shivas is up. So that'll release a lot of cap space for them to to bring in some reinforcements that could really significantly change the direction of this season. Uh, and then look, I think that the, the way that Chris Leach has approached this roster building project and the, the expertise and capability that he's shown uh, and the attention to detail that he's shown to be able to uh, bring in these, these really uh, good guys from within major league soccer, to be able to utilize uh, some, some sort of uh, opportunities in the MLS draft. He's, he's targeting a lot of international players in the, the MLS draft who, who, who could fall further in the MLS draft because they require a green card. Uh, he's been able to pick up some really strong guys like Useni Buda uh, in this season's draft uh, in Oscar Agron because uh, uh, of that uh, opportunity. And so I, I'm really optimistic about, uh, about his tenure and about the direction of this club. I think in, in two, three years with this strong core of young players, this is, this is one of the youngest teams in major league soccer with a, a really strong 
uh, core of young players that, that we've talked about. I think that in two, three years, this team could be a, a strong contender in Major League Soccer and could uh, establish themselves as, as one of the, the better teams in the Western Conference, which is really, really crowded. Since I started covering the Quakes in, in 2015, uh, this, this Western Conference has become much, much, much more difficult. Uh, but I, I think the Quakes can really compete. Well, we sincerely appreciate you coming on the show today and catching up on, on all things Smurfs for us, folks. Once again, our guest today as our opponent correspondent has been Alex Morgan. He is the editor of Quakes Epicenter. Please give them a follow at Quakes Epicenter. And of course, the co-host of The Aftershock, Mr. Morgan. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend's game. Brilliant, folks. With that, we will be right back after this break with our final segment of today's show. This is Will Koontz, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, boys, we have just heard from Alex Morgan. What do you think is going to happen at the bank this weekend when an infuriated black and gold fan base and two beleaguered squads take the field to do battle against one another in this West Coast rivalry matchup? Chris, we'll go ahead and start with you. What are your predictions for the game this weekend? I don't know. I think it's going to depend on who's available. You know, for the first time this season, I kind of feel like I'm expecting LAFC to come out a little flat. I'm expecting LAFC to not be explosive and not be dynamic and not be lethal. I just, I, I kind of expect LAFC to, you know, look lackluster. And, you know, after this match against San Jose this Saturday, they don't play again until June 18th. So I think that some people might just be like, look, let's just get through this game. and We're going to have a nice long break almost like a mental cleanse, a reset, if you will. I think the morale in the locker room is probably a little sour. I don't know. Again, I would like to believe that the club is going to come out and kill them. I think that I would love to see the club come out and just wipe the floor with them and show us what we know that they have. Unfortunately, I was so overly confident about their ability to beat the Galaxy yesterday that me having anything close to any bit of confidence in this club is I have reservations for it. So I. I don't know. I don't know what this club is going to do. I just hope that this club uses this international break as an opportunity for a reset and that they have their eyesight set on the 18th against Seattle in Seattle, you know, because uh, we just we can't afford to continue to be an average team. 2-1, we win. That's my answer. We'll turn it around. We got this. San Jose is not that good. They last at Sacramento. I appreciate that optimism. I'm not so optimistic. We don't have a healthy right back. We don't have a healthy left back. We don't have a healthy Vela. We have a midfield that can't pass to our forwards. I I hate to do it, black and gold fam, but uh, for the first time, I think, in a very long time, uh, I'm predicting an LAFC loss. Uh, I think we lose this game 2-1, maybe even 2-0. I have not seen our forwards show us that they can find the back of the net. I've not seen a midfield show us that they can connect progressive attacking-minded passes together. I've seen a defense that seems to fail at the most fundamental of tasks. The only person I have confidence in going into this game is Kerpo, but, I mean, there's only so much he can do in this game. I think you're going to have some LAFC fans that are really frustrated. 
I would not be surprised if there are people who take out that frustration on these players at the bank. Uh, I think there are many, many people who are simply irate. I would not be surprised if the turnout for this game is poor. I would not be surprised to see a bank that's not full this Saturday. But I know one thing that will happen this Saturday uh, is that I will be on Christmas tree lane with defenders of the bank. And I will be selling shots of District 9 Ultras tequila in order to help raise some money for the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. So if you want to get a chance to uh, try some of this beautiful tequila that we've made with Huegos Mexicanos, um, please come on by Defenders of the Bank's tent on Christmas Tree Lane. I should be there at about 10 o'clock in the morning, um, starting right up until about uh, maybe an hour, 90 minutes or so before kickoff when we'll pack it up. Uh, it is an early kickoff, I think 3 p.m. kickoff time. Um, so, uh, be sure to get out there early. If you want to pop by, say hello. I uh, will have some bottles with me for sale as well, too. Um, so hopefully we get a chance to help raise some money for Mo. We would still encourage you all to include that hashtag scarves up for good on your tweets. Um, something that I'm terrible about remembering to do when I'm in my tweeting moment, but, uh, head there to Pepsi Plaza right outside the Northwest corner of the bank, take a picture with that scarf hashtag it and get a dollar donated head straight over to the foundation and make a donation direct to them. That's the best way to get your money into this court. We love you, Mo. We miss you, brother. And uh, despite uh, a game that I know would have infuriated you yesterday, uh, your memory is bigger than any one win, any one loss, any season, and anything we can do to help continue that memory and move it on forward uh, is something that we would really like to encourage. So looking forward to seeing you all out on the lane. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully LAFC come out rejuvenated with some ideas, ideas that we can see out on the pitch connecting together. And we put together a heck of a performance and go into this break with the sour taste of a defeated Carson cleansed with a formidable victory versus the Smurf quakes. But uh, if it doesn't end up playing out that way, and we've got to sit here for three long weeks of simmering in our own losses, uh, hopefully that's enough to motivate this front office to get out there and do what we expect them to do and booster this squad, fill in some of these holes that we've seen, bring in that third DP that they've been dangling in front of us for far too long now. We definitely should have some resolution as to what's going on with Vela's contract. I know there's a lot of people out there who don't even think he's worth the contract extension at this point. I've heard that from a lot of different people over the course of the last 24 hours or so since our defeat. We'll see. There's going to be a lot of things that we have questions that are hopefully going to be answered over the course of the next 30 days. And I'm hoping this, this segment of the season goes into the international break on a positive note. But after what we saw yesterday, it's, it's really hard for me to predict that. Gentlemen, before we send the fans off, do you have any final words for episode 121? Don't lose faith. We're going to find our way out of it eventually. I just don't know when. But it'll, it, there will be light at the end of this tunnel, and we are going to write this ship, and I think that we're still going to have a season that we're going to look back and be fond of and proud of. I just think that we got to f- navigate through this rough patch. We'll get it. 2-1. Hold back line doesn't exist for San Jose, according to Alex Morgan. So they're in a worse spot. So maybe it's the right bounce back opponent we can get, but it doesn't mean there's not a lot of issues that need to be resolved, uh, both on the field and feeling the they need to be expressed and uh, pressure that needs to be felt by the by the club. Can't have the sweet without the bitter. There are no highs without the lows. And despite sitting atop the table, we all feel pretty low today.
But folks, we would really like to thank you for listening to episode 121 of Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. We'd really like to thank Alex Morgan, editor of the Quakes Epicenter, for joining us as our opponent correspondent this week. Hopefully we're back next week to recap a demonstrative victory. And we'll have an interview. And we'll have an interview. We do have a couple interviews lined up. We got a great one for next week. We got uh, some fans that reached out to me at the Derby that want to come on. Thank you to those people. Uh, We do have some great guests lined up as the schedule gets a little bit less congested. Uh, We are still planning on putting out some episodes with some roster predictions and some reflective thoughts on this first third of the season once we get a little bit removed from uh, from games. So we are still going to be putting out episodes throughout the course of June. We appreciate you all for listening. On behalf of myself, Jonathan Reimer, my co-hosts, Christopher Sines and Christian Aparicio, and the legend, sound engineer Wilton, thank you guys for listening to episode 121. Take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder, together this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us old mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.